Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Their Pitch is a women's football podcast in collaboration with Adidas Football. Hello and good morning and welcome, because it's morning here when we're doing this, uh, to another episode of Their Pitch Euro special uh, featuring Willie Kirk. Willie, how are we doing this morning? Great, great. The the Euros is at such an exciting part now in terms of the knockout games and uh, already we're seeing that step up in quality from the group matches, I think, in terms of the the competitiveness of the games. It's been fantastic to watch the first two. Yeah, you can really feel the difference between group stage and knockout stage. Uh, and we also have a special guest, of course. We have a guest and, and a very special one this morning to join us. Uh, Abdullah, who are you? Who, who am I? Who am I? I think this is a very uh, loaded question. I have, a, I have a lot of different faces as we, as we discussed. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it's great to be on here. I appreciate you, you guys calling me on and uh, it's, it's, uh, been listening for a while so it's nice nice to finally be able to to get on who am i i am a women's football analyst and an author i've written a couple of books for fun and uh yeah it's kind of on the very the very very elevator pitch this is the thing that's what i do yeah what are the books about we are keen to know uh, yes uh, so i'm a tactical football a- a writer as well so everything to do with tactics so i've written two books on um the leon team on leon and on chelsea women uh and you know both of those are pretty much tactical related how they've played what they do what's special about them and kind of the whole narrative that fits around um both of those teams in terms of being like big european powerhouses so yeah it's it's a nice deep dive into the way emma hayes and and leon have been kind of you know building their teams over the last uh, few years yeah and you being on here today fits in really nice because we're going to talk england spain and your uh, third book Yeah. Uh, that you are working on right now is about uh, England. Yes, very, very, very fortuitous that they have reached the semi-final because if they didn't, it would not be very nice after I announced it the day of the quarterfinal. No, but yes, I have uh, a third book on the way. It is on the Lionesses on England and uh, it, with a view of looking at how they how they do this tournament and you know and before they go to the World Cup, what it's going to look like. So yeah, I'm excited for that one. Yeah, we're excited too. But let, let's start with England uh, against Spain. And Willie, you were onto something here, but just just now, uh, what what is the difference that we are seeing from the group stage into the knockout stage, like tactically, and and how how do they approach these games? Yeah, well, I think I think even before we look at the tactical side of it, there is there is no longer any easy games. Not that there should be any easy games, even in the group stage, uh, but certainly there is there is fine lines now between opponents, uh, which then comes onto the tactical stuff. But but even the way teams mentally approach the games, 
because there has to be a winner. There is not such a thing as a point. Uh, so there has to be a winner. Do they take the game to their opponents? Do they sit in and preserve energy and and hit them on the counters? Is are they equipped for extra time? Are they mentally equipped for penalties? It's it's a fast it's knockout football is fascinating, especially when you just come out of group stage and the mentality suddenly has to switch. So yeah, it's 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 great and I think we've seen that with England Spain. We've seen two very different types of teams in terms of individual profiles, but also the way the team operates. You know, a team like Spain, who 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 played very very well, who it was probably ironically their best performance of the tournament, and the problem, and I think we highlighted it earlier episodes. The problem with Spain was how would they score goals, and they have all that ball, but they create very few clear cut chances. Uh, and a team like England again we've highlighted in the in the past and, and it's good to see these things come to fruition because we've spoken about it in the past but they find different ways to win and and that was really impressive I think from the England the England team on, on Wednesday evening Was the game everything you had expected it to be? Yeah I think if you could have written down beforehand how the game would go I certainly I don't think I'd have deviated that much from from what happened we knew Spain would dominate the ball I actually think that having 43% of the ball against Spain is quite good uh, because you don't actually need that much more uh, as England as England proved I think England again showed they, they're now in a really good headspace where they can allow Spain to have the ball and still control a lot of the things that Spain do, or not control necessarily what they do, but have a big control on the things they will definitely not allow them to do. And that is getting behind them. That is, uh, you know, overload them in the box. So they may allow them down the sides, but they do not allow them uh, to overload them in central areas. So I think, I think I probably expected the game to go that way. Didn't expect it to go quite as late in the game before they got an equaliser. Uh, you know, I think we all know that England have probably got more goal scoring threats than Spain. And, and that proved to be the case. And again, substitution wise, although, uh, Spain, Spain were also had some very impactful substitutions. I think again, Serena got her, got her substitution spot on in terms of the English ones. Yeah, and Abdullah Willi just said that this might have been Spain's best performance through, throughout the tournament so far, even though it ended badly for them. Uh, why was that? Not, not, not why, why, yeah, why did they not go through, but also why, why was uh, their performance the best of the tournament? It's, it's a, it's a strange one. I think, um, you know, I think for the longest time, I think they 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 just they just struggled to find that consistent lineup. I think that one injury to to Alexia is just kind it kind of tipped it kind of put them off the off threw them off. I think in the in the beginning because they practice everything with Alexia, Aitana, and Patri and, and as, as a midfield trio. That everything else is like falling into place. They kind of knew what they wanted to do, and it's like suddenly she's out, and then he. Ha- it's almost like he had no backup plan in for a while. Like what do I do? Because I mean, we saw that he tried four different lineups, especially in midfield. 
to replace Alexia. And it's like, oh, the first one didn't work. The second one didn't really work. The third one didn't really work. And then almost like this fourth one worked in a weird way. And I think it's because he finally found that, like, like the way Teresa played was just more like, yes, she was invisible, but it was more like she was invisible to the point where she didn't need to be noticed. She just needed to get the ball, connect the players around her together and do it. And I think the, I think the biggest thing was they finally were able to keep the ball with a little bit more purpose. They were able to kind of play it around. And I think except for the first 10 minutes of that game against England, I thought, I thought Spain were like well in control for that, especially that first half. Most of the game was played in, in England's half. They were playing, they had a lot of good motions. And I think, you know, bringing on Olga and starting her at left back instead of Leila Huabi, I think that really helped a lot. So I think he, it's, it's like, he finally figured out the system and the and this lineup to play, but it was almost too late. Um, I thought Esther played decently well. Um, maybe Amayur should have started for the runs in behind, take advantage of uh, Millie Bright and 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 Leah Williamson's uh, you know running in behind and kind of having to defend behind them rather than rather than in front of them, which Esther probably did a little bit more. But you know, overall, I, I enjoyed. I thought you know for for good. I could even go as far as saying that till Alatoun scored that goal, I thought I thought Spain were the better side. You know, England defended really well. I thought I thought Lucy Bronze and Millie Bright were really good on the right hand side, but I thought Spain finally figured out the system that 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 kind of was should have worked for them. But it basically came like three four games too late, and they couldn't practice it and, and put it. Even if they had figured it out a game before, it might have been a different story in this game. Yeah, and I mean. It's it's like that in a game of football. Obviously, that that just thirty seconds uh, can change uh, the outcome of a game. Uh, so, looking at the Spain defense in that moment, because it was a discussion uh, about uh, England's first goal with Alessia Russo going up to to just challenge uh, Irene Paredes. Um, what what did you think of the goal and? Why did Spain concede? Why did Spain concede? I, I mean, I think when England switched, I, so I think I think Spain were doing well when England were just playing their, their their regular like lineup. It was obviously Daly was getting absolutely walloped down that left hand side, right hand side, and 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 I think the switch to get Alex Greenwood on was part, pretty much the turning point because they almost switched to like a three at the back. Alex Greenwood kind of tucked inside. Kind of like the Magda role for Sweden, right? Tucking in is like this left center back, left back role, doing the same thing. And then you push the, the you push the wingers up front, and you kind of and then they threw uh, at one point they threw Millie right up as like Plan B of like the last like six seven minutes. And I think the minute you get someone so big and, and when England are forcing the initiative, you're getting players in the box, getting in the crosses when you've got because. I think a lot of the first and second half, it's very, it's England's main source of attack has been get the ball to Beth Mead or, uh, or Lauren Hemp, and they'll produce a moment of magic in a one on one and get the ball to the bylaw and be able to cross it in. I think Spain defended that really well for the most part. They basically, they had to keep switching sides to get any joy and they still couldn't get it. And I think eventually when Spain started getting a little bit more pressured in towards the, as the second half wore on, England were able to get more crosses in. And then just when, when, when it gets physical like that, I think uh, England just had the better... Uh, the better players in the box, I and mean, when you had like Ella too, just kind of coming in, winning that second ball and scoring. I think the minute the when the minute Ella they, they started getting the ball in, it, it almost felt 
inevitable that they were going to score. And then the minute Elatoon scored, you just kind of knew the momentum had completely shifted in England's favor. Uh, the crowd was behind them. And and Spain pretty much, you know, should have, um, you know, they, they, I think they just they didn't manage the game as well for the last five ten minutes. And there were a couple of moments, even in that in, in extra time, where Spain could have put it away and, and finished it. But it's just, I think the I think the pressure got to them. I think, um, you know, I, I think I thought the Spanish defenders was, was decent. There were a few times though when Mapi almost gave the ball away in possession, and, and that was like three or four. And it happened in front of me. It happened three or four times, and it was like, all right, they're they're, they're playing dangerously. But yeah, I think I think you know that switch that switch to a three at the back, throwing Millie Bright up front. It just kind of threw Spain off because probably they saw it in the Arnold Clark when when they did it against uh, Germany. But you know, I just don't think they had any answers to, to coming up against Millie Bright, who. Uh, on the defensive side, I think is the best box defender, uh, at least at the uh, at the years. And this was the best performance for 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 a defender in the box. But throwing her on the other side, you know, whether it's Irene or 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 Mapi, you you're not you're not beating Millie Bright in the air. So that's that's pretty much the the other side of it. Yeah, and and Willie, you you Abdullah just mentioned that you know you have to have the answers uh, to what's happening on the pitch and that Spain might might they didn't uh, but the fact is that for me when I watched this game I thought that England looked better with uh, Ella Toon, uh, Alessia Russo and of course Alec Greenwood when she came on uh, than the consistent starting lineup that Sarina Wichmann has been using what do you have to say about that? I think Alex was excellent when she came on I I personally would always prefer balance in my back line to have four right footers in the back line, I think. When you've got so much quality on the bench, you know, when you've got Demi Stokes and Alex Green on the bench, it does surprise me a little bit. I mentioned it last night on a Twitter Spaces thing that I did that when Serena Wigman won the Euros, she won it with four right side right footy defenders. So Kika Vaness played left back. So I don't know if, if it's something that Serena prefers. I think she stumbled across it because we all expected Leah Williamson to play midfield. But with the change of Leah Williamson drop, dropping back, instead of Alex moving out to fullback, she's been moved to the bench, which I'm sure she's not happy with. But I, th- I thought she did really well. And uh, I would be surprised if she didn't start the semi-final. I think, I agree, I think they look better with Ella Toon. And... Alicia Russo. However, because they keep making big impacts, I think I think she's getting the decision right to start with Kirby and White. Because you know you will you will Kirby and White guarantee you a certain level of performance. And that is just down to their experience. I think experience guarantees you an average performance. Whereas if Toon and Russo comes on, uh, if Toon and Russo starts the game and starts the game poorly, does Ellen White have the same impact as a sub? I don't think she does. I think I think Fran I think Fran would still have an impact as a sub because of the type of player she is. But I, I was debating this yesterday on the golf course that you know people are talking about Russo starting. I I I, I think. As much as I think Russo is a fantastic player and can become world class in the next five years, I think that you continue with White and you get the guaranteed hard working forward who will stop defenders having a comfortable first half and 
and and getting a relaxed 45 minutes under their belt. I think white quite prevents that happening because you work so hard. But then you get this fantastic impact from Russo every game. So, yeah, I understand why Serena's doing that. Uh, so for me, the only change I would make is, is Alex coming in. And that is purely nothing against Rachel Daly. That is purely down to I would prefer balance with a natural lefty in my back line. Yeah, I'm I'm myself a very big fan of Alex Greenwood's left foot because I think she's she's brilliant on the ball. So And her set piece delivery is fantastic as well. And she's better positionally as well. Like if you if you're looking at someone who needs to defend a one on one or defend positionally, I, Alex and let's not forget, Alex until two years ago, Alex Green was a natural left back. She was playing left back for, for, for Leon. She was playing left back for all the club, you know, United and, and City before that. So it's not like she's only a centre back. She's she, her natural position at least till two years ago was left back, so it makes sense. Yeah, welcome to the Alex Greenwood stand corner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I just want Rachel Daly up front. That's all I want. I just want Rachel Daly up front. That's all I who want. Who would you replace? I mean, I mean, yeah, Ellen White's got that impact up front. I would want to just see maybe, maybe you could even. I mean, this is a far fetched thing, but like you could even play like. Uh, Rachel on like a left hand side somewhere and then kind of you know let her play a little bit more inside or you even start her up front because I think her link up play um, <clears throat> is, is is really really good um, but at this moment in time it's like you're not basically Alessia Russo is the heir and throne waiting to take that number nine spot with the way she's playing so it's never going to happen but I would like to see Rachel Daly up front and place Valen White and see how that dynamic with Kirby uh, Mead and Hemp works because she can go in behind <clears throat> to taking crosses, but then she can also let Fran run in behind and almost let her play as like a second striker. So I like that dynamic between the wingers and Fran Kirby. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see, but it's not going to happen. Last last thing before we we leave England, Spain now. Um, at the end of the game, uh, Kier Walsh left the pitch. Woohoo! We're I was like, okay, is she injured or is it just cramp? Willie, what would it mean to to England and for England if Kiera Walsh wasn't able to play the next game? I think it'd be a, a massive change to the dynamics of the team. I don't think, I think they're fortunate that I don't think it would be as crucial against Sweden as it would against some other teams, just because I think you could, I think it'd become a really entertaining end-to-end game against Sweden if England did not have Kira Walsh. Because I don't know who would slow the game down for England. I don't know who would have that composure and possession. So I think they would just go for it. And Sweden would go for it on the way back. And I think we'd have an incredible spectacle. But, so yeah, if 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 Kira's missing from Sweden, I think we've just got two teams who will continually attack and be very direct. But it does change the dynamics of that England team because Kira's the one player that can probably play in any team in the world because any team in the world would want a player who takes the ball in tight spaces, who circulates the ball so efficiently, and who has got that range of passing. So it would change a lot for England, but I think they would get away with it against Sweden. I'm glad you're speaking about this as of Sweden will face England (laughs) next Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah, let's see. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, let's move on to talk about the other quarterfinal because that was also, you could feel the knockout vibe uh, from that game. So, Abdullah, what did you think of Austria's performance versus Germany? I actually thought Austria played really, really well yesterday. I thought, I thought they were, they were forcing the, um, they were forcing the initiative. They were, they were the ones going forward. And I don't, I actually don't think, um, I actually don't think Germany played at their best yesterday. I, I thought I thought Zadrasil and, and Firesinger and Kuntagam in midfield, at least for large portions of the game, they dominated. Um, you know, they, they were there even then. But I, I mean obviously I think Lena Obudor versus Zadrasil was probably my favorite battle of the of the night. Just one man marking the other. Um but I, Germany were just clinical. I mean, they were like for like thirty minutes. Austria dominating the game in their own way. They're winning the they're winning the scrappy duels in midfield, and then suddenly Svenja Huth does Svenja Huth things, and then they just score out of almost practically nowhere. I mean, they were threatening a little bit, but they, they kind of scored out of nowhere against the run of play. And then after that, Germany Germany's performance was just professional. Like they just they just did a job and they got it done. Though, um, you know, Austria struggled to create too much. I just felt like up until the final third, they were doing really, really well. And they just weren't able to, they weren't able to finish. And probably that was their biggest issue. And I think maybe they could have brought on Nashen Wang a little bit earlier in the game. But beyond that, like, I, I thought, I thought, I thought it was a really, I thought it was a really fun semifinal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Germany did their thing, but I was really impressed with the Austria's midfield. Yeah. And no, for me, it was like, I, I was kind of feeling for Austria what I feel for Iceland because they really played with their hearts on their sleeves and and it's nice to see teams like like that you know the collective I'm I'm quite worried that we're going to see that uh, with Belgium as well uh, tonight but I'm going to because it's like you said and somehow it wasn't perhaps the best Germany that we have seen but the the final thing that happened in that game when, when Germany scored their second goal. And I'm going to read a tweet now uh, that I've found online. Willie, it says like this, that Alex Pop told German TV that goalkeeper coach Michael Fuchs had told them that Sinsberger often plays to or from a defender and that she tends to lose her left field out of sight. The goal was, yeah, it was unfortunate for for Austria but is this something we have seen from Sinsberger before? Yeah, I th- I, th- I think Sinsberger has has got mistakes in her. Uh, definitely, I think uh, we've seen it in WSL. And Arsenal's not necessarily been punished every time, but I, I think we've seen we've seen seen mistakes from her. I think she can be a little bit erratic uh, in possession and also aerially taking crosses. So yeah, it's, I mean it's great detail from the German goalkeeping coach, and that's that's what you're wanting is those little little nuggets of information just to look out for and make players aware of. So yeah, it's great it's great analysis work from from the German coaches. So yeah, I, th- I think we've seen it we've seen it in the past with Zinsberger. 
So this is like if you scout a team good enough or very close, you can you can actually see that even though the goal was was kind of a coincidence, it was not a coincidence because of of good scouting and and that's yeah it's it's a great detail to to look out for. Uh, but we have to talk about Alex Pop a little bit more, I think, because she has scored in every game. She has played in the Euros uh, history so far because this is her first Euro. Um, what do you think about Alex Pop as a player, Willie? And how important is she for Germany? Yeah, massively important. Uh, she's just got such a presence. She's such a focal point for Germany. I keep forgetting how young she is. I think Alex Pop and I think like mid thirties coming to the end of of her career, but she's still got so many years ahead of her. She's got another Euros in her without a doubt. So yeah, she she's very important for this German team because if you want and Germany don't rely on her, I don't think. Uh, but if they want, she can be a real central focal point for them. She can stay in that central position if that's what they want, but she's also got fantastic movement and opens up space for others to exploit, and especially that German midfield, you know, with, with, with Debritz and uh, Magoo, in terms of them wanting to get forward and trying to exploit central spaces. So, yeah, she, she's got fantastic movement to open up spaces for others, but at the same time, if you want her to stay central, she's got the... She's got the profile to be able to do that and be a central a central point. Yeah, she's a fantastic, fantastic player, and uh, yeah, I'm, I would not be surprised if she continued that run of scoring and everything. So, and Abdullah, we've been talking a lot about Spain's midfield being one of the best uh, in the world and perhaps one of the most balanced midfields. Uh, but Germany's midfield, that's, that's quite good as well. I'm not sure what you think, but I do think that. And what, what do you think makes them so good, uh, together? Oh, I love Germany's midfield. Lena Magul, Lena Oberdorf, and, uh, and Sarah Dabritz is, is, I mean, it's a dream midfield right there. And uh, I think if you're talking about balance, um, those three have it. You've got the box to box of, of Sarah Dabritz. You've got the defensive screening and, and kind of again movement of, of Lena Oberdorf and then you've got like the creativity and, 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 and the you know the just the vision from, from Lena Magul. It's 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 actually unbelievably unbelievably amazing and, and the, the funny part is they've got like almost ready-made replacements sitting on the bench and like Sidney Lawman and Linda Dalman, you know, like there are players there who can just kind of walk in and do the same thing. And you know, when you've got that much depth, I think it's 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 scary. Um, I find the fact I find that these these three midfielders so good because they have answers to any pretty much most systems that they play. Like yesterday when Austria were really putting pressure on 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 Dabritz and and they were you know and on um, on Magul, um, I didn't think Dabritz had her best game yesterday. I thought Magul was was outstanding and Lena Obadov was outstanding, but like I think Dabritz was was kind. She looked a little bit off color yesterday. Um, but I, what I liked was that she adjusted her movement in build up. She used to drop in as like a double pivot next to Lena Oberdorf to kind of be able to get on the ball and so that she could progress out um, you know uh, and so while like going forward she didn't have the best game and she was losing a few scrappy duels and obviously she got the yellow card eventually as well but um, it, it was just it was it was nice to see that adjustment from her trying, trying to try something different get on the ball a little bit more 
Um, but I think, you know, but the fact that, you know, when I think when Linda Dalman came on for Sara Dabritz and obviously at Latvine, Latvine as well, like when they came on, I think Germany controlled that a little bit better because it, that was the sort of game that was required. You needed a little bit more presence in there. So when they brought Latvine on and they switched with, to almost a double pivot with the next Lena Obedov and pushed her up a little bit higher, I thought Germany looked a lot better in control of that midfield because that was what the game demanded. And that's what's so good about the Germany midfield. You've got players for different situations and each of these players can play against different situations so you can kind of drop them in push them up and uh, and suddenly you have um, suddenly you have a midfield that can compete with probably anybody in the world you know and the fact that what Sydney Lomans played like 10 seconds of football like yesterday and she's yet to come on and then you've got you know like Latvian can come on when you need a defensive midfielder Linda Dahman can literally slot into that team without even a, you can like we said like like Willie said you can drop Alex Pop into that midfield and then when because don't forget Leah Schuller will, help, will come back by the next game hopefully and then what do you do with Alex Pop do you play Leah Schuller Clara Bull and uh, you know, and, and Svenja Huth up top. Do you drop Alex Pop? Do you put her in midfield? Like, there's so many like options now that they have in midfield that it's unbelievable. We can just ramble star players in Germany uh, because they have a lot of them. But will they, they will go up against the Netherlands uh, or France? And uh, who do you think Germany will face uh, in the semi-final? I think they will face France. <clears throat> I I don't think it'll be an easy game for France because I think we've spoke before that you know they've got great players but they're not necessarily a great team. I think getting further in the tournament will possibly help them become a little bit better as a team. Uh, but again, you look at some of the characters and it could self-implode as well because every French player thinks they should be in that eleven, and as much as that's a good thing, I don't necessarily think. It's a good thing with that French team. Uh, I don't know if they have got great spirit, great atmosphere in that camp. Uh, they've got a lot of big, big egos. So I think Netherlands will probably operate better as a team, but France are going to have too much quality. Netherlands are still going through that transition and I think they've really struggled with some of their performances. Uh, losing Lika Martins, I think, might actually help them. Because I think it just, I think when Lika Martins is having a poor game, I don't think she gives you anything else. If she's having a poor game in possession, and and there's a chance that that you won't get to play the way you want against France because they have got so much quality individually. So you might need a different type of profile, and that is someone who sacrifices himself for the team. And one of the one of the other options that Netherlands will now play could could be a better profile for that type of game. So in a strange way, as much as you're losing a top player, you may actually be gaining something more as a team. So it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating game. I, I think it's regardless of who wins, Germany will will get to the final. We 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 just spoke about how good their midfield is. Yet they became better when they took two of them off. You know, and replace them with two young players when the quarter final was on that balance of are we going to get a second? Are Austria going to get an equaliser? Well, who cares? Let's put two young midfielders on. And and they've got they've got such I've mentioned it, they've got such great depth, that German squad and these young players 
in the in pre in the previous tournament were probably too young. These young players have actually got good experience now. Uh, of playing at a top level week in week out. Yeah, it's crazy to to think about that. A player like Lena Oberdorf is all; she's just twenty years old. So it's gonna be, yeah. Uh, I feel like she is the one uh, of the most experienced players in that squad already. Uh, in 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 a way, but let's finish this episode with Abdullah uh, predict uh, France against the Netherlands. Scoreline. Oh, I was talking to people about this yesterday before the game, and and we were all in 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 unanimous decision that this could literally go either way. This could be like four nil France. This could be four four. This could be three three nil Netherlands. I mean, like literally, like the, the attacks of both teams are so good. Um, obviously, I think France's defense is a little bit better, but even then, like. I think I think Karin Diakra prefers Tunkara over Mbok for whatever reason. And so there's like three small dynamics everywhere. <laughs> that that expression says it all. Um these dynamics. And then, you know, like the, the the question then comes up, should you drop Sakina Karchawi and play the big game player that is Salma Basha at left back because she always does amazing in these big games? But then that's probably not going to happen. So there's these question marks. But if I'm putting my money on it, I'm going. I'm going France. I think maybe a two-one, uh, two-one to France. I'll just. I'll give it to the French just because I think they're still. Be- I think their attack will still overpower their defense more. But going into that semi, playing against if they go up against uh, going against Germany, that I think might be a stretch too far because their midfield is nowhere near as good as as the rest of the big teams in the tournament. Admit it, you just want uh, Bacha to play so you can wear your new match shirt. I'm waiting to wear the shirt. I got it and I'm waiting to wear the shirt. I knew it. Tonight, it's a big game for for Sweden. Uh, Of course, Sweden versus Belgium. And we have COVID cases uh, among the players, which of course is quite worrying because two of the players that could be absent tonight is uh, right back Hanna Glass and left back Jonna Andersson. Willie, do you think that this could be that big of a deal for Sweden so that it could end up losing them this game tonight? No, I think it could force them into a more attacking lineup. Now, we've discussed that those fullbacks are hardly defensive-minded players. They both get forward. They both make entries in the final third. I would love to see them go to the back three. I'd, I would love to see Reitenkaner and Rolfo in the wing-back areas. Real, Let's attack them. We're better than them. You know, if they're taking forward this whole we're not Scandinavian anymore, we're overly confident, and this is we're you know, Vikings. Yes, Vikings. Like, we're we're yeah. going to take the game to them. We're we're one of the best teams in Europe. Let's do it. Let's do it with your most attack-minded players, and let's just overpower Belgium. Because I do not think Belgium could live with a Sweden team who has four or five attackers in that team, albeit two of them in wing-back positions. Uh, I don't think Belgium have got the have got the players or the physicality to exploit them. So I know the manager is quite a, quite conservative and he always has been. He has quite consistent lineups. He always goes for Angle Dower rather than Benison, etc. etc. But 
Let's go for it tonight. And I, I just need to ask you this, Dan. You said the back three. What what uh, what defenders would you like to see in the back three? Uh, Elisted, Bjorn, and Eriksson. Yeah, because this is also a worrying thing for Sweden because both Johanna Rittenkaneryd and Magdalena Eriksson has yellow cards ahead of this game tonight. Would you, as a coach, if you if you would you be worried about that or have that in mind when when you picked your lineup? I, I I don't think you can. I think that's something you may think about during the game, but when you, you've got to win that game or the yellow cards are irrelevant. If if you're conservative, if you... Yeah, I, I think you might think about them during the game, but I don't think it can affect your, your starting lineup. I think you've just got to go for that starting lineup and make sure you get the semi-final spot and then deal with it. Deal with it. Because I think COVID has probably changed that a lot more as well now. Because you may have two players missing through suspension, but the opponents could have three players missing through COVID now. So, yeah, I think there's an element of gamble with everything that we do now. So I think you've just got to, you've just got to forget about that to start the game. And you might think about it during. So two, two topics uh, from what you have said here, because I have got a strong feeling that Fridolina Rolfa will never play as, you know, the left wing back or even a left back in a back four for Sweden. You, you could, you, you can actually, Hear it when Peter Yarajan is talking in his uh, pressers and, and about, about it. But Abdullah, would, would that be a good option for Sweden uh, in a game like versus Belgium to have Fridolin Arolfa in that uh, role and position? Yeah, I think if you're playing three at the back and playing her as a left wing back makes sense. I mean, she did it. She's been doing it for Barcelona for pretty much an entire season. So it's not like she doesn't know how to play the position. She played as a left back. When, and I think the Barcelona system was more like you're playing left back, but pretty much you are auxiliary left winger than uh, giving us the width on the, on the left hand side. I mean, when when you're going up against a team like Belgium, who are literally going to sit back and counter you, then then as as Rolfo, you're like, well, why do I don't need to worry too much of what's going on behind me? I just need to keep the ball go forward and, and attack as much. And then you get and you have the three defenders. Magda's there for a reason on the left on the left side of the back three to protect Rolfo going forward and then you've obviously got the double pivot in front of you so I would you know if, if they want to try something different and try and really you know force the initiative and and put Belgium even more on the back foot getting in an extra attacker uh, like Rolfo along with the other players that are there I, I think I think it's I think it's a it's a move if it doesn't work after like 45 minutes 50 minutes you can always switch to a back four and sh- shuffle things to take off an extra defender and shuffle things around and put Rolfo back into a bit more of a striker role left winger role um, but yeah it doesn't hurt. I mean it's the one game in a knockout tournament against an opposition that albeit have done well to get through to this point there's no disrespect to Belgium there they've got a couple of good players Um but if you if Sweden want to try something before a big semi final, you know that they're probably going to get into, then now would be a good try to see how Rolfo works at left wing back in a Swedish system. Yeah, and now two things before we we wrap this up then, um, because I've seen from the past past networks uh, in Sweden's previous games that Magdalena Eriksson is linking up really well with uh, Fridolina Rolfa, um, for example, and and it's been discussed a little bit that we don't get to see the best of Magdalena Eriksson in the Swedish backline yet. Uh, Swedish media, you know, when you read rankings after the games and, and stuff like that, you can see that 
and they're not quite happy with Magdalena Eriksson's performance. Willie, say something about that. I don't really care if you like Magda's performances or not. Take her out of the team and you'll see a massive, massive decline. You will see a massive decline. She's, I say it about the Chelsea team. When Magda doesn't play for Chelsea, they look completely different in the back. They look as if you can get at them. And it's the same with Sweden. If you take Magda out of that team, and it's funny because it's a bit like Kira Walsh. You don't notice her when she's there, but you notice her when she's not there. And, uh, yeah, I, listen, players on the pitch, in the changing room, players give you more than what you see from the statistics. And that is where the the little soft skills of a manager comes into it, I think, of which players are more important than statistics. So for me, Magda is massive in any team that she plays in, be that wearing yellow or wearing blue. Yeah, I'm quite happy you, you say that because, or quite happy, but but you know what I mean, because it's like, People have been saying in Sweden as well, and this is because perhaps they, they don't watch as many games in the WSL, but uh, like they say that Magda hasn't been that important for Chelsea this season uh, from what we saw last season, but I don't agree because she is, she is their main, she's their key player in the way Chelsea want to attack and how they want to build up and, and she is playing a quite, not, not a quite, but perhaps a quite different role in, in the Swedish uh, lineup. But she is important for, for other reasons. So, but let's end this podcast now then with uh, Abdullah uh, predicts Sweden, Belgium and gold scorers. <laughs> okay. Okay. Taking it one step further. Um, I'll go 2 0 Sweden. Uh, Aslani double. Oh, yeah, that that's tasty. And Aslani double, yeah, I'll yeah. Go with that. And with that tasty line, we wrap this episode up, <laughs> and we will be back. Uh, Abdullah, thank you for coming on. Thanks, for it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> and Willie, don't get too cold in that 30, 13 degrees cold England today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We'll speak tomorrow. Yeah, speak tomorrow. Have a good day. <laughs> bye. Bye bye. Bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com 
Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.